You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at sax.com. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Calm Cove podcast can help you sleep deeply all night long. Calm Cove has deeply relaxing meditation music and ambient sounds like ocean waves and crackling fires. All of our episodes are designed to help you relax and to fall asleep fast. Calm Cove is brought to you by the team behind Sleep Cove, the sleep podcast that consists of spoken word hypnosis, meditation and stories. So if you want to listen to a beautiful soundscape tonight, search for Calm Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see how we're helping millions of people relax and go to sleep every night. Imagine for a moment you're a teenager and you find out your mom has won the lottery. Except with this lottery, you don't get a ton of money. There aren't millions of dollars at stake. Because the lottery that I'm talking about is the American Green Card Lottery. The artist we're focusing on today, Njidika Akunyili Crosby, Grew up in Nigeria, but her mother won the green card lottery. And so at the age of 16, she left the homeland where she grew up and came to the United States to study. And her work is largely about the strange space she occupies with sort of one foot in two very different worlds. I feel like who art ed? Who art ed? Mr. Wood art ed me. Either way, it's ambiguous. It works on so many levels. I know. Welcome to Who Arted, where we explore visual arts in an audio medium. I'm your host, Kyle Wood, and joining me today is fellow art teacher, but also thought leader in the art education community, Janet Taylor from uh, The Art of Ed as well. Thanks for coming in. Hi, thanks for having me, Kyle. I'm excited. I'm excited, too, because this is actually an artist I was not familiar with before you suggested her. Um, So the artist we're focusing on today is, and let's see if I can pronounce this correctly, because I think last season I mispronounced somebody's name in almost every episode, Njidika Akunyili Crosby. Yes, I think you did a pretty good job. I often refer to her as Crosby just by her last name, right? Very formal. It's so much easier. (laughs) Angelica <laughs> um, uh, Akinyili uh, Crosby was born in 1983. Interesting. I was actually also born in 83, so um, this doesn't at all make me feel like a failure for what I've accomplished compared to her. But right. she, she's from she's from Nigeria, and she comes from um, a pretty successful family. Like her father was a surgeon, her mother was a professor of pharmacology. And I guess her mother won the green card lottery, allowing Njidika to come to the U.S. when she was 16 years old. And that's one of those things that that was the first moment that I had this pause of like, imagine being 16 years old and 
you're going to move thousands of thousands of miles away from your family, your friends. I mean, not all of her family. I think her sister went with her, right? Um, I so, yeah. Yeah, but like you're going like half a world away. Yeah. At, as a teenager, that seems that seems like like it would be a, in some ways exciting, but in some ways scary proposition. But she came to the U.S. and she spent like a year in the U.S. studying, getting ready for like the SATs to get ready for for higher education. And then she went back to Nigeria, performed a year of service, and then after that came back to the U.S. to study. Um, when studying in the U.S., it looks like she started off at a community college in Philadelphia. Then she was encouraged to go to Swarthmore. And she was initially pre-med um, before she decided to pursue art. And that was one of those things that, like, I related to so hard because I imagine um, I actually was initially going to go into medicine. Wow. I, I, when I first went to school, I didn't start off at the Art Institute. I went to, um, I went to uh, University of Arizona for a little while on an academic scholarship. So I fully know what it is like to tell your parents I'm going to walk away from the sure and lucrative field to go into the arts. You and know, that ha- that's really funny that I didn't know that about you. But um, I also went to school to be a physics teacher originally. Yeah. And it was the same thing. I, I ended up uh, becoming a scenic artist painting for theater. And my parents were like, uh, no, <laughs> like, you're yeah. not, you're doing what? Um, so I love that, that, sh- you know, I think a lot of our students can relate to that, right? Where they're like, you know, in order to be successful, I need to be a doctor or a lawyer or something like that. But it's kind of amazing to yeah. see her be able to follow her passion. Yeah. And, and I think she actually didn't even really seriously pursue art until, uh, late in that college career. And so then she she went on to um, like the Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts, and then she got her MFA from Yale, which a lot of people don't realize that Yale is like obviously a fine academic institution, but it's also one of the top art schools in the country. Yeah. You know, Yale's painting program is, is one of the best out there. Um, so... A lot of her work, I feel like, sort of focuses on this space that she occupies, which is really interesting. She's straddling sort of two worlds with connections both to Nigeria, where she grew up and spent those formative years, but also the U.S., coming here as a teenager, experiencing the the pop culture as well as the academic culture, surely had a, a huge impact on her. And so what I find really interesting about her and her work is she's expressing what I think a lot of people feel, even if they haven't moved from like, even if you haven't moved as drastically as going from one country to another, I think all of us occupy spaces where we feel like we're a part of different cultures. Like, you know, who I am with my friends is different from who I am with my family and and all of that stuff on a smaller scale. We all sort of do that code switching and take on different identities. And that's what I find really most interesting about her work is how she's exploring different aspects of identity and the different spaces that she's occupying and feels connected to but not fully a part of is the way that I perceive it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought I don't know that much about Nigeria, to be honest with you. Um, so I was looking a little bit about that. And it clearly plays into 
um, her artwork from very early, right? Nigeria was a British colony. Um, and so there's a lot of British presence, I guess, or, um, whatnot still there. And then on top of it, you've got, um, I think like over 200 tribes that kind of came together. Um, so there's a lot of appropriation, um, you know, kind of borrowing from each other, um, styles and, um, ideas and kind of repurposing it for something new. Um, and I think that's really interesting. And then the idea of her coming with that context, right. With that in her, in her backstory. And then, at the age of 16, which is like the most uh, influential time, probably, right? It's like you're kind of coming to coming of age and figuring out who you are, trying to be an adult to navigate that. And um, so kind of learning about herself through all that um, as an American then, or what that looks like, is a pretty interesting piece to her artwork. Yeah. And I think one thing that, that I heard you saying that that is really interesting that I can actually build on because, you know, what you were saying about the colonial period and the tribes and, and the, the cross-pollination of ideas, all of that fully support, and I have nothing to add to that. But when you said, like, the 16 is this critical period where people, where your your sense of self and identity starts to become uh, really solidified. Um, you know, it's when you're really striking out on your own and discovering who you are separate from from your parents, from your family, from your immediate family, and and getting that first sort of real taste of independence. And as I've read, studies have shown that people hold on to a lot of aspects from their teenage years because of that nostalgia for that that moment of freedom that you feel and experience. Like I forever will have terrible taste in music because <laughs> I was a teenager in like around 2000 and like, you know, listening to pop punk and all of that terrible stuff that <laughs> like I will forever love, you know, yeah, yeah. if newfound glory is touring when I'm 60, I'll be getting in the circle pit with anyone else. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, it really is true that coming at that age, as you're coming almost the earliest stages of like pre-adulthood, you know, that first right. sense of independence, the things that hit you then, they impact you differently and they stay with you. And I think that's something that we see throughout her work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Saks.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Sleep Cove podcast can help you. Hi, I'm Christopher Fitton, the voice and clinical hypnotherapist behind Sleep Cove. Sleep Cove features sleep hypnosis, meditations and bedtime stories, all designed to help those of you who struggle at night to achieve a restful and peaceful night's sleep. Search for Sleep Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see why Sleep Cove helps millions of people sleep deeply all night long. So 
you know, covering that background, I do want to now start to shift towards looking at her work specifically. And the the piece that, that I picked out here, which I think is a, a good sort of example and representation of her work, is Predecessors from 2013. And so when you're looking at this piece, what do you notice? What jumps out to you? I see a woman sitting in a chair. There's another chair and a table. So some sort of space um, that she's in on one side. So this is like two pieces. It's called a diptych, right? Um, mm-hmm. When there's two together. So di, di, dip, I guess. Dip is the part, right? Two. Yeah, um, die is two. Is two. Um, and then the other side, so the other piece. So they're like two separate pieces kind of presented together or displayed together. Um, on the right-hand side is almost a continuation or maybe a different space or a similar space within the same environment. And um, the reason I would say those things is because I see a lot of common um, colors, some common angles in the space. Um, but the one on the right has no people in it, right? It has yeah. a table with some objects, um, so that's kind of like at your first glance, which I love when in an artwork, right? My, yeah. When I walk in a museum, I look in a piece of artwork and my first thought is, what do I see? What do I connect with? What do I understand? And then you kind of get a little closer and dig a little bit more. And what you see in her piece um, on both pieces are um, these like shadows. So for example, underneath the the woman sitting in the chair, there's a shadow, mm-hmm. right? That would be cast. Um, and it's all made up of more images, which is really interesting, right? Yeah, it creates this almost textural embellishment within the shadows, right? Like it's giving that sense of volume, but it's also revealing a little bit more. Right. And so you're looking at it and you're trying to kind of understand, like, what is this? Where is she? Um, what is the context? Some of the um, pieces of the architecture, I guess you'd say, are images as well. So there's kind of this space that you're trying to understand, right? Like, like what's going on here? It's a little abstract, a little surreal, right? Something that makes you feel a little, um, like you're in a dream state almost. Yeah. Does that do, I mean, what do you think? To me, to me, I'm, I'm starting to think of like the uncanny Valley where it's like, you know, it's, there's so much that's real about it. Like, you know, the, the figure is the, the proportions, the shapes, like the, the contours are all so realistic, but then it's just slightly off because there's that slight modification of just like one element. Mm -hmm. And, and there's, there's a little discomfort to, to, to that for me, you know? Yeah, and I think it's interesting, too, the color palette, right, is a little strange, feels a little off, right? You're, you can't tell if it's something from the past or something kind of pop culture or futuristic. It's kind of, like, displaced. Yeah, it um, feels a little 1950s to me. It does, but also, again, it has a little different hue to it that you're, you know. So, interestingly enough, on the left-hand panel, there's that... Um, I guess, what do you say, like lattice work or something in the back? Yeah. Um, So that, again, I'm trying to pull from my own context, right? And that reminds me of those concrete. Yeah, uh, those concrete blocks, those embellishments. um, Yes. that you. It's sort of a tessellated kind of pattern. Yes. And so, and I think those, to me, reminisce of like the 60s and 70s. 
So I'm trying to like, pull, you know, you might see them in, I see them a lot of times when you're driving by like a motel, right. Mm-hmm. That feels like really old, um, really old, not for me. Right. This is no, like but, the first it, artist that is But like it also feels like apartment <laughs> complexes, you know, like yes, when I think of yes. those, those inner ring suburbs where they've got the, the, a lot of things that sprung up in like 50s, 60s, where it's like the, the buildings that are maybe like three stories and maybe like six, like, you know what I'm talking about? Those yes. brick and stonework, like that older sort of modern architectural, um, it feels like it would have been from that like mid-century period to me. For sure. And then the other interesting thing about this is, so that's kind of um, green, kind of a greenish tint, right? But mm-hmm. then you look across the palette and it is this complementary red and green. Um, everything has a red and green hue to it of some sort, which is um, pretty interesting as well. Like, why is that, you know? Yeah, but it's it's not like a straight red. Like it's mm-hmm. not a shocking red. It's the, it's this muted and almost cool red. Yeah. Like it, it some of it looks almost like um like maybe an alizarin crimson in the the deepest reds and you know, like it's got this this sort of rosy color to it as well. The, right, same thing with the green though too, right? It does have yeah. that uh kind of bluish hue to it. Um it's pretty, it's pretty interesting. And then, and then you look closer at those images and you kind of wonder, you know, they look like maybe they look like photos. They, they're definitely, yeah. so you've got this, this artist who's making, right. These two paneled spaces. Some of them are, are flat, bold colors. Some of it's highly realistic painted and other parts are, um, you know, image transfers, right. They're photographs. Yeah. Um, so you're kind of piecing all these pieces of who she is together and trying to make sense of it. Um, I think also on the right-hand side, there's all those different objects, um, which I think are pretty interesting. There's some, uh, you can see something whoops, framed on the wall. And then there's a couple of frames that are sitting down on the ground, kind of behind the table there. Um, there's a table underneath the table with another table next to it. You know? Which I relate to like so hard because my <laughs> in-laws have like a million end tables all over. Like they're nested un- underneath each other. Yes. And, and like, they're not even like matching or anything. You know, they're just yeah. kind of this disconnect. Um, and then there on the table, you can see things like there's a blue lantern, a bowl in a saucer of some sort. Um, that lantern kind of looks like a camping lantern or something. Yeah. Right. Um, maybe some sort of, it's, it's kind of hard to see because the images here are a little bit kind of faded, right? They're kind of, they are faded, but the other thing is all of those images, they're, they're faded and they meld into each other the way that, um, like as we talked about, you know, teenage years and influences, like I think of like a teenager's bulletin board with like those photo collage of like all your friends and stuff like that. Or like the way you have the pictures that like line your locker, you know, like there's this, there's this sense to me that feels like that, that early and you know, like your, your first experiences of photo collage where it's just like, I'm just sticking it all together. And, 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 that to me creates this nostalgic feel, yeah. which like, you know, 
as we say, there's there's some really interesting moods happening here because of, as you've already said, there's that mix of like the realism and the flatness and and the collage and the, the fading of it. And to me, that creates this tension where I'm just like, as I look at her, there's this pose that that feels both relaxed, but also like confident and a little bit like assertive. You know what I'm saying? Like it's mm-hmm. it's strong while also she's kind of leaning back and seems relaxed as I'm like the the mixture of different styles feels to me like it shouldn't work and somehow it does and it makes me uncomfortable but also makes me impressed that she's like it's like this tightrope act where it's like she's balancing it all just right there's just enough realism just enough flatness um and I, I find that really interesting about this work. But like I say, it it has that feel of nostalgia with all these photos. And I know from reading about her and her work, those those photos are personal and they are meaningful. And that is the intended effect of that little bit of nostalgia. And mm-hmm. I think what I what I found most interesting is I've done like a million transfers. I've I've you know, like that's a technique that is not at all new or surprising to me, but the way she does it and the way she talks about it and the way she talks about how in a transfer, you lose a little bit of information, you know, it, it fades it. Maybe some of the details get lost. They don't transfer quite right. The colors shift, you know, sometimes the way that you're choosing to transfer, it can also modify the colors. And that to me seems so perfect for memories mm-hmm. because I was going to say that memories or that dream yeah. or whatever, where it's parts are just not there, right? Parts are missing of that well, information. Well, but parts are missing, but also every time you access a memory, the way that the human mind works, every time you access a memory, you're actually like refiling it. So you're recreating it in your mind and you add details to it. Mm-hmm. There have been really interesting studies where they, they show actually people who have been interviewed over time and the way their account of a story changes. It's like Even a game stuff of telephone? Like, no, no, no. Like the same person doing studies. No, but studies, like that idea, like yeah. it's over and over and it kind of changes just a little bit every time that you it does. access it. Every That's time, really interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. Every time mm-hmm. you access a memory, it, it, it basically creates, it rewrites the file. Essentially, and as you retell it, you you slightly change it, um, and so like a lot of stuff that they the the sort of main takeaway from that study was a lot of the stuff that we think of as like like those flashbulb memories, like mm-hmm. you know those major world events that you think like it's burned in your mind, you'll never forget. <laughs> You're probably wrong about. Yeah, yeah, you know that's really interesting, and also really just blew my mind. I think a little bit on how I perceive myself. Right. (laughs) You know? Yeah. And maybe again, you know, relating back to her, that, that sense of identity, um, you know, of like how you perceive yourself, how do you remember these, you know, how these memories are impacting you as your identity. I don't know. That's pretty interesting. Hmm. Yeah. And, and the other thing I found interesting about this work, and this is like the only other bit of surprising insight that that I had to share about this, the reason she made this as a diptych, um, as two pieces, was because she said she wanted to do something where there wasn't a figure, where, you know, a room and objects without anybody. 
And she felt like doing it as a diptych with the figure in one part of it sort of gave her that that permission structure, that like familiarity that she could take a little bit of a leap in the second panel. And she talked about the collection of objects and that that table and everything as representing, um, I think it was her grandmother, her grandmother's mm-hmm. uh her grandmother's place and and the memories that are associated with that village and everything. And she talked about like her grandmother was sort of away from the urban centers and then her parents moved into a, you know, the more sort of cosmopolitan urban um, environment. And then she went from there into America. And so she talked about this as representing like her in her, her apartment out of college. Um, and I, I thought that was interesting how this work is showing the it's it's doing a couple of things, even just in the choice of it being a diptych. It's showing a little bit of her being separated from the representation of, you know, her her grandparents and, mm-hmm. and where she came from. Like the there is a literal distance, a literal gap between yeah. the two um, and which some, actually is is interesting, right? When you look at her, yeah. she's she's looking at she's, that other piece, basically. Like the the woman in the fi- the figure is her body language is facing away from the right hand side, but yeah. her head and her arm are turned kind of towards. So it's like she's glancing almost over her shoulder or something, which yeah. is really interesting. Hmm. And well, and the other thing I, I find interesting about it is like. I I just recently did an episode on Erased to Kooning and thinking about how an absence is something that is even more profound than nothing. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. it is it, it the the absence of a figure in this in this collection, the empty chair creates this void and this something is something or someone is missing. Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. that to me is also sort of profound because it's you know, she is quite literally separated and missing family, Yeah, yeah. you know, or at least that's, and, that's my read on it. Yeah, no, I mean, so this is, uh, when I look at art too, like I said, if I'm looking at a gallery or at the art museum or online or whatever, I take time to really look at the image and kind of yeah. collect that information and put it together. Um, but then I, zoom kind of out. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. and I, I, you know, you're looking at things like the title, right. Predecessors kind of make, well, there, there you go. Right. You're talking about people who came before you, um, and the media that she's chosen. So sometimes, you know, I like to look at an image and, um, try to figure out what I see. Right. And then sometimes I look then at the media and, Oh, I had no idea that that's what was used or Mm -hmm. whatnot. And then kind of look back and forth and kind of have this game with it. Um, what was really interesting, um, then too, is when you're at a museum or something, you can kind of, usually there's that placard with a little bit of an artist statement that kind of gives you some information. Um, and some pieces, you know, you kind of look and you, you go, oh, that's, that's really interesting. I like it. And you move on. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, nothing really draws you in. Um, but if you find a piece of artwork that really draws you in to the extent that you want to know more about it, that artist statement is really powerful because it tells you so much about the artist and, and her context. Like we were talking about this whole time, all, all this information about her really plays into her artwork. Um, 
I uh, first came to know about this artist. Like I didn't know either about this artist. Um, mm-hmm. A couple years ago, I went to the, I, I teach AP art, stu- studio yeah. arts, right? Which is now art and design. And uh, I went to the workshop and we were, that was when the portfolio was changing and they focused more on process, which is, you know, what I'm really interested in teaching anyway. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm sitting there and I'm listening and they're, t- they're talking about process and they showed this video from Tate shots of her. Yeah. Um, it's so good. I would highly recommend kind of, if you're interested in this artist to check her out more, she's so articulate about her process, right? You, you were talking about, um, her transfer process and how yeah. she does that and how interesting it is. But even hearing her talk about, um, fabrics that she uses or textiles, yeah. you know, um, just using all these different materials that have the context to it. And, you know, as it, it, growing up as an art student, right. Or even our art students today, you know, I teach in the high school, right. And my kids in as freshmen might come and they'll take, you know, photography, right. Or they'll mm-hmm. take ceramics and they'll kind of continue on in that direction. And they think this is the, so, if I do ceramics, I work with clay and glaze, right? Yeah, it's and, that tunnel vision. You know? Yes. And, you know, it's hard because I think when we're little, right, when we're littles, we we think big and anything is art. And then when we somehow we kind of get focused into one area and then trying to get you back out is, is a bigger thing. And I think it's exciting to look at artists like uh, this particular artist because, you know, she has um, so much so many different media that she includes in her work that talks about these different pieces to make these spaces for herself. And I think that's a real good connection of, you know, thinking about the media that you're using, right. The materials Mm -hmm. and the tools that you're using in to tell your story. Right. So she's, she like, why is she using image transfers? Well, she's bringing in those photographs, right. Specifically, of yeah. her of her past versus you know why would I just not take a photograph well she's collaging them together and it's it's so interesting when you go back and learn about her right that yeah. well her her whole history is about weaving all of this together and um taking all these pieces and trying to figure out who she is and and here it is in her artwork so um I think this is just a great example of of that you know yeah. And like you say, like her artist statements, she is brilliant in, in the way that she explains things. Like I am the same age as she is. I went to the same fine art schools and I never thought about transfers in that way until yeah. I heard her talking about it. That was that sort of aha moment. So, you know, like she definitely brings these insights and that's part of what makes her such a great artist is she's not able to just make an image, but also able to articulate the rationale behind it and why sh- we should appreciate it. Yeah. Um, and that, that artist statement is a big, a big part of it. Um, and you know, I, what I think I'm not going to feel too bad about not having the same insights that she did. I mean, she's, no. she's, <laughs> no. she's a 2017, uh, MacArthur genius grant recipient. So like, yeah, no. you know, she, that pretty much says it all right there. Right, she's operating right. on a whole other level. <laughs> Most of us, right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what is it about her transfer process that stood out to you? Um, you've talked about that a couple of times. I'm just kind of curious 
it's not so much the process because you know I've I've done the process plenty of times mm-hmm. in plenty of different ways. It's the way of thinking about it and the the symbolism of the loss of data that oh, comes okay. through the transferring. Gotcha. You know, gotcha. it's the way yeah. she frames it more than what she does. Again, it's, yeah, sometimes we too think about the technique as just the technique to get us someplace. And here she's like literally talking about the technique as, you know. The medium the jur- is the message, yeah, Martha, is, Marshall McLuhan and all yes. that sort of stuff. It's just incredible. Uh, yeah. So anything else or should we wrap it up? No, I, I think it was, I think it's pretty good. And I'm wrapping it up, I wanna just a three-point rating scale. And Where should this hang? The Louvre, is this something to look at? The lab, the lab. is this something to learn from? Or the Louvre? British for the bathroom. Yeah, there's the a the poop joke in there somewhere. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. That's a real, that's an interesting question. Okay. So here's, here's my answer. You ready for this? Yeah. So if it's in the Louvre, I feel like it cannot be accessible to everybody. And I feel like this piece really needs to be accessed, you know? Um, I think that's the context that she's sharing is the accessibility. Right. And then it's definitely not in the Louvre or we wouldn't be talking about it in my opinion. Right. Um, so the lab, so what, so I guess, you know, it's some place between the lab and maybe, um, you know, in a, I keep envisioning some sort of book that I can kind of have in my pocket to carry with me, you know? So, but, but, but I guess what I'm getting at mainly is the function of it. So you're seeing this as something for us to sort of deconstruct, study and learn from. Yeah. So I guess the lab, right? That's yeah. where, where it would be. And yeah. I, I, I feel like that's I feel like that's accurate. Like I said, I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot from her, even about things that I was already familiar with. Um, but I also find it just really beautiful to look at. So I guess I'm going to say a museum. It's a museum piece to me, just because for me, what makes something a great museum piece is that. I look at it, it catches my attention, it looks nice, it's a pleasant aesthetic aesthetic experience, but there's more to it. And the more I look at it, the more I, I appreciate and enjoy and learn from, and that's why it has that staying power, um, rather than being something that's just maybe a passing fancy, like a one you know, and done. Yeah. like a, tran- mm-hmm. a transient kind of thing. Yes, or but, trendy. Yeah. yeah. So Awesome. Awesome. So thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate your uh, taking the time to come talk to me and, you know, helping me to learn about and discover a new artist. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was great. I love talking. Thank you. With you. Yeah. <laughs> Not just talking. <laughs> no, talking just talking's art. good. I just, <laughs> yeah. I just like to scream into just... the void. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's, it's 2020. That's what we do. <laughs> That is, is true. It's true. This concludes this week's episode of Who Arted? If you found this tolerable, please like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. You can find images of the work being discussed this week and every week in the show notes on Twitter at WoodArtEd and on the website whoartedpodcast.com. Podcast done.